tonight, though, we are actually going to um, kick it off with telling you a little bit of our story. Because um, if you were here for the first couple of weeks, you heard a little bit of my side of our love story and how we met and all that. But several of you were kind of asking for the rest of the story. So we thought that tonight we would kind of give you the rest of the story. And I brought her up here because, you know, I have my side and you get to hear my side, but she has her side too, right? And so we're going to let her have some input into the story as well. So um, I'll just kick it off. I guess um, the first time that I actually saw Ashley um, was at Cheddar's Restaurant. She was a waitress. Yeah, and, um, college job. College job, yeah. We, so I was there after, after a, a Sunday church service, right? And so we were there eating lunch, me and a couple of friends. And, and the truth is, like, even though, like, I was totally playing it cool, like, she was smoking hot, okay? And so... First time I seen her walk by, and I about fell up on my chair. Had to get her number. It took me, like, six weeks. <laughs> Really, yeah. See, the truth is, even a decade later, my wife's still smoking hot, y'all. I'm just saying. Like, she is. That's all there is to it. No, 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 no. What are you thinking? Let's tell your story. Okay, so it's a little bit different from my perspective, but what I was thinking was more along the lines of... But uh, he uh, he did catch my eye, so I was really thinking. I wasn't safe, so Heath and I, we were at Cheddar's. He asked me for my number, and I think Heath said that like two weeks ago, like the actual story about getting my number, things like that. He asked me actually to. Uh, go to a movie the night that he asked me for my number. And to me, I was like, wait, go to a movie? And he's like, yeah, a bunch of us are going back to the dorms and we're going to uh, watch a movie. And I'm like thinking. Group, not like in. Yeah, group. Not I'm my like, dorm. No, okay. no. What kind of guy asked me to go hang out with a group, number one? And that's just lame. Like, let's go to a party is what I was thinking. Let's go to the bar. I mean, that's just, that's kind of where I was at. And so, um he did get my number, and I didn't go meet up with them that night. Uh, he actually ended up calling me. I don't, it, the timelines, it was a long time ago, but the timeline's a little sketchy. But he called me up one night and said, hey, I'm going to IHOP. And it was pretty late. I think it was like, what, 10 p.m. or something like it was that. late. You were getting yeah. off after working, so. Yeah, I had been working. It's not late so. for them anymore, by the way. I know. You guys eat at like 11. I can't <laughs> handle all that. So um, he asked me to go, and I was actually at my apartment, and uh, I was partying, So, and I was also with another guy, and Heath calls me and asks me, hey, you want to come over to IHOP and meet, meet up with one of my friends? And I said, sure, hold on, i got to make up a story. So I made up a story to my friends, and they're like, whoa, 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 like, you're not leaving, don't leave, um, you know, because I had been partying and left IHOP and I went and met up with Heath in the state that I was and he was there with his guy friend and that was his accountability partner and so you guys probably remember Heath talking about Casey being there and he was actually 
you know, looking at me to see, you know, could you tell if I love Jesus? Well, obviously I didn't because like he said, Jesus wasn't on my lips. And if you love the Lord, he is on your lips at all times. And it wasn't for me. It was for them. And they talked about many things like that. And I was just there really just to make my appearance and, and, um. She was there because I was hot. That's a horrible. That's why she was there. That's a horrible picture. Why are you? Look at that one. I don't know what's wrong with that screen. Looks. I look the same, huh? Okay. So, um, so we did that. We left. Um, I knew that he loved the Lord. I knew that he was a pastor. He ended up adding me on Facebook. Back then, Facebook was only for college kids. Like, you didn't get, everybody else had MySpace or just nothing. Like, Facebook, you had to be in college to have a Facebook account. It's not like that anymore. And so, he added me, and I was in, um, Mary Massey, those are the dorms that I was in, and I told my roommate, I said, oh my gosh, this guy, like, I like him, but he's such a good guy, and I just know if he sees my Facebook pictures, it's, it's a no-go, and I, I like teeth, and I, I didn't want it to end, and so, like, I'm just not going to add him. He doesn't need to know all what I'm doing in these things. I'll just, I'll just play the, the good girl role, so I did that, um, and Finally, I think a few weeks went by, and I was like, okay, I'm just going to add him. Like, I think he likes me. He'll like me for me. So added him. I kid you not, 10 minutes later, I get a phone call from Heath, and he's like, hey, we can't, we can't do this anymore. He was a gentleman about it. He was very nice, but he's like, you and I just have two totally different lives. He's like, I love the Lord. Obviously, you know, you're just in a different place, and I'm not here to missionary date, basically. And so I was heartbroken. Um, I the, the truth was, like, the, the pictures on her Facebook account kind of confirmed everything that I kind of already knew about her, yeah. right? And, and the truth was, Very like, I, I didn't want a girl who didn't love Jesus. And so in the most genuine way possible, I, you know, I, I just told her that this is, this is the end. Like, we're not, we're not pursuing this any further, you know? Yeah, so he let it go. No matter probably how bad he wanted to keep it, he let it go because it was... Having, like, a relationship with a girl who loved Jesus was that important to him. It's probably your number one priority. And so um, so time went on, months, and I was still doing my thing. I was completely, came to a point in my life where I was completely, I knew that I was always broken, but, like, I finally recognized it. It just came to a very low point in my life. And I remember um, I had a good friend named Daniel. And so Daniel was in ROTC, and I was friends with a bunch of ROTC crew, and um, he was one of my best friends, and he was probably my only saved friend. And he would always call me out on what I was doing. He would always, you know, if I, even my language and what I said, he would always call me out, and it was so annoying. I'm like, Daniel, I love you, but just, like, leave it alone. Like, you're just such a, like, a goody-good boy, and I, I never understood it, but he was, he still was my friend, and so um, one day when I just got to that really low point, I was in my car, and I, like, I told God, like, I hate you, like, I, I wanted to declare it, like, I was like, I don't even believe in you, you haven't done anything for me in my life, but granted, I wasn't serving the Lord, but I was expecting him to give me all these blessings in school, in finances, and do all these things for me, but I didn't truly love him. And there's something about declaring something over your life, right? Just when you, you know, declare that Jesus is Lord of your heart. And I just, I was mad at him. And I told him, you know, like, you're not real. You're nothing to me. I don't want to hear about you again. Like, I do not believe in you, God. 
And um, the funny thing, though, when we were talking about it, and I was thinking about it, I was like, you know, at that point, I didn't believe in God, but I sure did believe in Satan and the things that he was doing in my life. So, ironically, those two things go hand in hand together. I mean, you don't have Satan without God. So, um, I knew, I was like, there's, I, there's something else. There's something more to life that I was craving, I was needing, I was broken. My family back home was broken. Um, I was being used by men, all kinds of things. And so, I called Daniel. He's the only one that I knew that loved God. And I just told him, I am just in a place of, like, where I don't even want to live anymore. Like, I am just beaten and broken and I have no idea what to do and he had been trying to get me to come to this service Chi Alpha for y'all but back in the day it was called chapter one and so he'd been trying to get me to go to that I told him no probably 50 times I mean he just kept pushing and pushing and inviting me inviting me and trying to introduce me to girls and I just kept saying no it's not for me I'm doing other things and so um I, when I had called him, he said, Ashley, like, I'm going to church tonight. You're going with me. And I was like, okay, I'll go to church with you. And I finally said yes. And uh, we got here a little late. He was late. And so I was already, like, nervous about that. And I was already broken. We walk in. I come and I sit. I was right in the middle. And um, they're doing announcements. And I'm just bawling. Like, I am weeping, bawling, because as soon as I stepped foot in the sanctuary, I knew that, like, Jesus was here, he was real, and that he loved me, and that he's meeting me right here where I was broken, right right here. It didn't matter if service hadn't started. We weren't in this huge worship, you know. He was meeting me there, and he was telling me in my heart, you know, I love you, and I was so broken. Um, I couldn't even handle it, so from that moment on, I, um, I got plugged in with um a life group, and this girl, she's still one of my best friends this day. She was in my wedding. I was in her wedding, um, and I got plugged in with a bunch of friends. Uh, we did everything. I did everything with Chi Alpha. I got baptized. I just, I just found my place and found my home, and honestly, guys, like, I was, I was pretty off, off road, and I, once I got saved and, like, Jesus got a hold of me, like, I was, I was like, I'm done. Like, I gave it up. Cold turkey. I gave up lots of things that I shouldn't have been doing. And not to say that it wasn't a struggle, but I never was wishy-washy with my faith. I said, Lord, you saved me. You, you came to me right where I was broken and beaten, and I'm going to give my life to you now. And I was serious about it. I guess the hardest thing really was um, when I did get saved and changed was losing my friends, like best friends who I thought were like my ride or die. Like they didn't have anything to do with me once I got saved. They absolutely, you're, they're like, you love, what? You love Jesus? You want to go to church? And they just, they didn't understand anything that was going on in my heart. And so, but, you know, that's probably something that could have, like, deterred me from ke- keeping, like, coming to this. But I, like, God quickly, like, replaced my friends, like, with girls who are just amazing, like I said, who I'm still best friends with to this day. So where I was lacking, because you need friends, right? You need your friends there to support you, especially if you don't have a like, great family like me. Um, where I was lacking friends, God quickly provided right away for me. Cool, cool part of the story. So Daniel, the guy that actually was inviting her to, to Chi Alpha, um, Daniel was actually in my life group. And so um, before I had ever met my wife, 
I was actually praying for my wife because Daniel would, would like during life group, he, like, he, he'd tell me, he'd tell us like, man, there's this girl that lives on my dorm floor and she just needs the Lord. Like she needs some prayer. And so like I was praying for my wife before I ever even met my wife because Daniel, who was in my life group, was reaching out to her trying to get her saved, you know? So the Lord works in mysterious ways, right? Yeah, definitely. And so, Yeah. Yeah, and like I said, I had met Heath before, and so when I walked in, and Heath walks up here, and I'm like crying, I was like, are you serious, God? Like, are you serious right now? Heath Miller is here? And so I, I had no idea that Heath was affiliated with, um, well, it was chapter one at the time, so at ASU, I knew you were preaching somewhere, but um, <laughs> how much I cared, obviously. So, and then we didn't start dating right away. So Lennon, who was a pastor of Chi Alpha at that time, he was Heath's best friend still is to this day, his accountability partner. And uh, we didn't just jump into it and start dating right away. It was really more of one of those things where, I don't know if it's called courting or what, um, but we just, we were friends and we built a friendship, but they wanted to make sure, I wanted to make sure, Heath wanted to make sure that I fell in love with Jesus because I love Jesus not because I loved Heath and I wanted to be with Heath. It's real exciting at first, your faith, when you first get saved, and then it starts to dwindle down, and you have to work to keep that relationship with God. And so they wanted to make sure that um, my heart was for Jesus before, before me and him started in this relationship because he was up here, and I was, like, way down here. So, um, And this is, our, this is a picture of when we were dating, right? Yeah. 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 This was us early on. We were dating here. Yeah. And um, this is when I was supposed to play the Taylor Swift song. Yeah, but you messed that up. Love story. Totally messed that one up. <laughs> but, you know, the, but the truth is, like, we, we had kind of progressed in our relationship. She began to mature in the Lord. And, and, um, and you know, my boys finally, like, you know, gave me, gave me the go-ahead. They were like, man, I think she's legit. I think, I think y'all could be good together. And, and, and Almost so, a year later, though. <laughs> yeah. And so... Um, my accountability, you know, we, we, uh, we submitted to that accountability, and, and man, we're really grateful that we did. You know, it allowed her to mature and allowed her to become, you know, a, like a true believer in Christ. Like, you know, like she said, or, how many people do you know that come to the Lord and then quickly fall away, right? And, and we, didn't, we didn't want for the reason for her to stick around was because of anyone else, you know? Like, we wanted to be for her love for the Lord, and, and, and just through time, she proved that love was genuine, and so... You know, the truth is, like, you know, I got the go-ahead for my boys. Like, the relationship seemed good to us and the Holy Spirit, right? And, you know, I started making my move. And, you know, before long, I feel like Bruno Mars was, like, writing our love song, right? And, you know, truthfully, like, let's face it, like, okay, Women, you'll definitely agree with this. Men, if you're not on board with this, get on board with this. Because when, when, you, when you find the one, you don't date just to date. You date to make her your wife. You, you date to make her your wifey, right? Like this is, there's a point to why we date. And it's not just to have fun. But, but the truth is, I was in this, you know, for the long haul. And so, you know, I wanted her to be my wifey. Yeah, and I was ready. And I was just, that eight months, I was just thinking, like... She 
do this. So, you know, so the truth is, he does want to do this. So the truth is, I, I, I took the hint. We ended up here. So he proposed to me. So this was, this was our proposal up on the mountain in Riadosa. She went skiing with me and my family. And um, her favorite flower is a yellow rose. So I snuck off, did this little circle of yellow roses, and I asked her to go to the snowboard shop with me, right? I'm walking through the trees, straight up into the yellow roses, and uh, I get down on a knee and I pop the question. And the truth is, like this, this went on for a little while because um, she like tackled me. She was so excited, like jumping around and. You know, like, you know, in the midst of hugs and kisses and all this. And I'm like, is that a yes? Like, yeah, she totally forgot. Like, my sisters are actually taking this picture. And she's like, what'd she say? And I was like, I don't know. Is that, you know, so, yeah, we, yeah. So she said, yes. Next slide or picture. We had a beautiful but you guys know what's on every dude's mind, right? Because my wife's hot, so it's my wedding now, yo. We're married. We're married. That's allowed. Listen, there is one thing and one thing only that is on every dude's mind when he gets married, and that is the wedding night. And so, you know, we, we, listen, we, <laughs> what, y'all want to hear it again? We, no, 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 no. <laughs> we, we, we rocked on for about five years, man. We, we, truthfully, like we had a great life, like. We, we had a great marriage. We remodeled a home together. She graduated college. We had some great jobs. We were both doing ministry together. It, it, we just had a really great life. In fact, we, while in ministry together, we ended up going to, to Berlin, Germany. Yeah, we did. So we went on a mission trip. Um, it was terrible for me from the beginning because as soon as we left, I mean, we got on that first, how long is the plane? 18-hour plane ride? It was ride? a long ride. And I got very, very sick. Next thing you know. We had no clue we're, that yeah. she was prego. This was our reveal picture. Look how clever we were. Ice, ice, baby. These guys don't even know ice, ice, baby. Oh, yeah. What is true. up with this? There were so many songs I wanted to put in here today, and I was like, oh, wait, they won't know. But look, that this is. is our firstborn, yeah. Late and Joy. Isn't this she is beautiful? the oldest one you guys see running around. And uh, y'all don't think she's nearly as cute as we do. But, yeah. you know, the, the truth is, like, whenever we, this is, we talked about this a couple of weeks ago, how, like, you know, when, when, when a relationship and sex develop properly, right, like, you end up with babies in, in a marriage, and, like, everybody celebrates. And so at this point, everybody's happy, we're happy, grandparents are happy, yeah. you know. Babies are fun, y'all. Like, they're a lot of work, okay, and they're, they're expensive. Like, you know, you'll lose a lot of sleep. And of course, man always says they're expensive. Doctors are expensive, and... <laughs> You lose a lot of sleep I and lost baby a lot food. Of sleep. And, but babies are fun. But then, literally, okay, we're, we're eight months into this baby gig. Eight months in, and this was a new scene. I think I did it. Uh oh. 
And then we end up <laughs> we with one. baby number two. Little baby Tegan. Did I we mention sleepless Tika. nights? Two babies, definitely sleepless nights. But you know what? Here's like, I don't know what that is. That's our fourth baby. This is, this is our happy little family. This is where you see us today. ending yeah. truthfully but um so that's that's kind of our story i mean we we just kind of wanted to tell you guys the rest of the story if it if we may put it that way and yeah. here's the truth like if so in, in this story here's what you kind of get my wife and i are different right like she's like new mexico ghetto and <laughs> and i was like i am not <laughs> do i look ghetto to y'all no <laughs> And I, I, like, I went to high school in the middle of a cotton field, right? And so, you know, like, her family, <laughs> her family grew up with certain traditions and values, and, like, my family grew up with certain traditions and values. And so, you know, like, you take two of us, and, like, in the midst of this wonderful marriage between us, there's, like, conflict sometimes, right? Because she's very different than I am, and we were raised different. And so, you know, and like some of you know what I'm talking about. It's that tension that exists when, you know, we talked about taking two whole people and, and putting them together into one, right? And, and so inevitably, there's going to be some times that the kind of conflict arises. Like, my wife is a leader, y'all. She's, like, awesome, okay? And, and I'm, like, hard-headed, and so both hard-headed so like you know inevitably like if she and i hope to live close to each other there's going to be some times when you kind of rub each other the wrong way right there's going to be some differences that are that arise and so the truth is if if we want a marriage full of like closeness and intimacy then then we've got to learn how to handle conflict and so so i would say we handle conflict pretty well actually and (laughs) What was that for? Really? You don't think we handle conflict well? Mm, I don't know. You always think you're right. Well, I just you think you... win. Listen, you always seem to figure out you're wrong and come around to my side. Uh, no, sir. No, I don't. <laughs> are no. we fighting about fighting right now? I think we are. Stop it. I'm supposed to be preaching about fighting, not fighting about fighting. Well, if you Okay, whatever. <laughs> Newsflash. <laughs> Ashley and I have conflict in our marriage. Yeah, we do. Your we pastors fight, guys. We actually fight. have conflict in their marriage. And so you may here's have seen the thing. It. <laughs> like, we're different, right? I yeah, mean, we're definitely different because of, I think, just like the way we grew up and everybody else can relate to that. But like my family, conflict was very confrontational, fighting, yelling. Ghetto. We're going to really fight after this. <laughs> Sleeping on the couch. <laughs> no, but in a Heath's family, like, his parents are, they're just more calm. They're like, let's sit down and talk about this and, and choose your battles wisely. And then, you know, like, when we first started dating, he came over to my house. He's like, your family is so loud. Like, everybody's, like, yelling all the time. Not even, even when they were happy, we're all like just super loud and yelling all the time, so. 
we just, we just come from two very different families. So building a life together, right, with two very different families is going to, um, is going to bring along some conflict. Hey, would you guys give it up for my wife? She's been helping me out. Thank you. <laughs> So here's the thing. If my wife and I hope to have a good relationship, we've got to figure out how to handle conflict. And tonight, I just want to share with you guys some of what we've learned, some of what we know, and we're going to talk about fighting with the one. And um, you see, as I say that phrase, fighting with the one, um, some of you think about how you've seen your family or your parents handle conflict. And some of you immediately think that I'm talking about fighting with the one, as in, fighting fair and not tearing down, not yelling at each other, not getting physical, these kind of things, and how do we fight against each other? When I say fighting with the one, you immediately think, you know, we're going to talk about fighting against each other, but the truth is, I actually want to talk about tonight, how do we, not how do we fight against the one, but how do we fight with or for the one? See, fighting with the one can be taken two ways. And when you find someone that you want to be in an intimate relationship with, then you'll end up so close that at times they'll rub you the wrong way. They know what to say to get under your skin, right? They can say that thing that just like flips a switch towards anger and rage. But the truth is, if you hope to have an intimate relation, relationship with that person after the conflict, then you got to make a choice right now. And so the first, the first blank on your outline tonight is you got to choose to fight with or for your one, not fight with or against the one. See, when I say fight with the one, some of you think for and some of you think against. And that's probably based on your past experiences. But tonight we need to redefine how we fight with the one. And we need to fight for. Ecclesiastes 4, 9 and 10 says this. Two are better than one because they have a good return for their labor. If either of them falls down, one can help the other up. But pity anyone who falls and has no one to help them up. You see, what I can absolutely guarantee is that if you have a desire to love someone and live closely with them, if you hope to journey through life with them, there will be times that the one that you love will fail or fall. See, according to Ecclesiastes, it's good that you're around because during those times you have a choice to make because when they fail or fall, you can either fight for them and lift them up or you can fight against them and beat them down. See, we're okay with saying that nobody's perfect when we're talking about how we mess up and how we deserve grace and mercy, right? But maybe tonight it's time to shift our focus or the focus of our grace towards our other one. And maybe declare now that before we've even met our other one, that, that we are making a choice tonight to just simply say it's okay if they're not perfect too. <clears throat> we said a couple weeks ago, nobody's perfect, right? Like, there are no men in this room that are Disney princes that are going to ride in on a unicorn and save the day. And there are no women in this room who are Disney princesses that will fall out of their angelic bed and fall out from heaven into your lap, right? Like, <clears throat> as much as you might think they're a Disney prince or a Disney princess, you'll soon find out otherwise. And, and you've got to be okay with that at some point, right? And so, if no one's perfect, we have to make a decision on how to handle things when our one falls or fails, according to Ecclesiastes. See, to fight with your spouse 
You can fight with your spouse or you can fight with your spouse to protect intimacy. You can fight with your spouse to, to pull them up, to not tear them down, to, to fight against anything that would try to steal, kill, or destroy, or separate your relationship. And we believe whenever you're married, that's a relationship that God has joined together, and no one gets to separate that, right? And so tonight, with the, with the, the, with the knowledge that every relationship will have conflict, um, I want to give you a few pointers on what it looks like to fight conflict rather than fight your spouse. And so um, I've got a little table set up over here with some, with some, uh, with some cups. And um, if, if I were standing right here, um, babe, would you come just stand right here for me real quick? Okay. So this wall of cups that we have here is actually, um, we're going to call it a wall of conflict. Okay. And see, so... What happens is, the way most of us view conflict, is that we see ourselves on opposite sides of the conflict from our, from our significant other. And so, we, what happens is, this conflict rises up between us, and conflict can, if you allow it to, um, influence or affect negatively the, the intimacy or the love connection that you have with your significant other. And so... <clears throat> God, the truth is, when we're trying to build a great relationship, God gives us, like, all of the ingredients that belong in a loving relationship. Show 1 Corinthians 13 up here real quick. 1 Corinthians 13 is the love chapter, and there is um, all of these ingredients in love that we see in this love chapter. Love is patient. Love is kind. Doesn't envy. Boast. It's not proud. It doesn't dishonor. It's not self-seeking. Not easily angered. Keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. Always protects, trusts, hopes, perseveres. Love never fails. And any of us would look at that and go, man, a relationship with these ingredients sounds great. But what happens is, whenever we're in a loving relationship and conflict arises, we're like, I love you, but I don't really want to be patient with you right now. I love you, but you remember that list of wrongs, that all those things that you were doing before, and you just, like, what ends up happening is that we, we, instead of just sticking to the ingredients that God says should be in our loving relationship, we start adding our own stuff. So we start adding things like little fiery darts that we're just firing at the one that we <laughs> supposedly love. <laughs> See, we can get angry or short-tempered when we've had a rough day, right? In this conflict that arises. So let me ask you guys something. Like during this time, when I'm like firing little fiery darts at my wife over here across this conflict, like is the conflict going anywhere? Is it shrinking? Is it, if anything, like every dart that I, that I throw, it's just kind of growing a little more and a little more bigger until finally I can't even see my wife. All that I see is the conflict standing between me and the one that I love. And we'll get stuck in this rut of just throwing, 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 and we get focused on the thing that wants to steal, kill, and destroy our relationship that God said he put together, but we're too focused on the thing that's got us angry instead of the thing that we love now but what if even though your one has like totally fallen or failed you maybe they said the thing that you thought they'd never say 
They did the thing that you never thought that they would do. Because how many of you know, when you're in close relationship with somebody, and they know you better than anybody else, they know what to say. They know what hurts. And what if they fall or fail? What if they say that thing? What if they do that thing? What if during a time like that, you chose not to sit opposite your spouse concerning this conflict, but you switch sides. And all of a sudden, you find yourself on the same side fighting conflict instead of fighting your spouse. See, we have a choice to fight for or to fight against our spouse when conflict arises. And I want you to think about this for a moment because if, if my wife and I are now on the same side of the conflict, now these little weapons that we have, we can just start taking out whatever battle comes our way. And it's like, as we, as we sit here and we fight for each other, and we fight the conflict instead of fighting each other, think about what happens to your intimacy as you overcome this conflict, and you defeat that battle, and you overcome this battle, and that battle, and the next battle, and before long, you have this tried and true relationship where you are fighting for each other, and how many of you know that the more battles you win together, the more your intimacy grows? But we got to make a choice. See, we got to make a choice to fight the conflict rather than fight our spouse. We got to make a choice to switch sides sometimes. You can sit down, babe. Thank you. So here's what we're going to do tonight. I want to give you um, just some pointers. I want to look at how to fight conflict rather than fight your spouse. If we're talking about fighting with the one or for the one, I want to give you just some some practical pointers on how we do this, okay? Because Jesus said this, don't let anyone separate what God has joined together. And, And if Jesus were in here saying that to us or to you when you're married, he would say, hey, that includes husbands and wives. You don't get to separate what God has joined together either. See, it's real simple for us to think of something from the outside coming in to separate our relationships. But I'm telling you, something from the outside is usually not what causes divorce. It's usually something occurring on the inside, isn't it? So, point number one, Jesus would say this, don't separate, gravitate. Move toward your one or be attracted to your one. When conflict arises, choose to switch sides. Choose to get closer to the one that you love. Choose to gravitate towards them, not separate. See, here's the thing. Ashley and I are committed to to not separating. Like, no matter what conflict arises, conflict does not get to split Ashley and I up. That's just how it is. It doesn't, conflict doesn't have an option to split us up or to cause words like divorce to ever come out of our mouths. And see, even if we fight, can I tell you something? It's great to know that I'm fighting with someone who's not going anywhere. Because we're more committed to Jesus than we are the conflict in our relationship. We're more committed to Jesus than the selfishness that can grow inside of us. See, when we start separating from the one that we love, we lose intimacy. We lack hope. And eventually, you do this for long enough, and you're no longer soulmates, you're just roommates. 
So we want to we gravitate, not separate. Point number two, avoid selfishness. Avoid selfishness. Now, you might think this should be common sense, but let me ask you something. How easy, to get up, is it, how easy is it to get wrapped up in selfishness when conflict arises? Like, think about it. How easy is it for us to start thinking about what I feel, what I want, what I think, what I deserve? Right? And the danger here is always, as is always the case with selfishness, is that when selfishness comes in, love is actually pushed out. Because according to 1 Corinthians 13, love is not self-seeking. Love has no selfishness in it. So if we begin to inject selfishness into our relationship, whether conflict is there or not, we're going to see love pushed out. The two don't go together. So we want to avoid I, 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 me, me, me. And I would say at the same time, to avoid statements about you, you, you. When we start pointing the finger in the other direction, you do this, you do that, right? And so this is point number three. We want to avoid criticism. Avoid criticism. You're always doing that. You're always failing. You're never good enough. Your actions aren't good enough. So whatever it is that you're in conflict over, don't ever make your partner who has failed or fallen feel like they're a failure. See, fa- falling or failing is an event. It's not an identity. But sometimes when they have fallen or they've done something that causes us pain, it's real simple for us to go, you always do that. And we begin to label them, right? We want to avoid criticism when we're fighting with the one that we love. Number four, catch bitterness now. Catch bitterness now. Bitterness is this, it's unforgiveness that has grown up in the soil of a bleeding or a hurting heart. Bitterness is unforgiveness that has grown up in the soil of a bleeding heart. It's when your heart gets hurt, but your heart doesn't heal. The Bible actually calls it a a bitter root that grows up and devours men. And here's the thing, you've got to ask the Lord to help you deal with the, with the things in your life that maybe set you off right now. Because there might, if I'm willing to bet, most of us have like that one thing in our life that when somebody starts to poke or prod in that area, or they begin to talk about that area, it just kind of sets us off. And we, man, it's like somebody flipped a switch and anger and rage begin to come out or we clam up. And it's because there's this Wicked, poisonous root of unforgiveness that has grown into a tree of bitterness in our heart. It might be because there's someone who hurt you in your past. There's been some experience that you've never forgiven them for, or that you've never healed from. Your heart is hurting in that instance. And so anytime somebody brings it up, man, it's like an explosion goes off. <clears throat> Deal with those things now. See, Jesus grants you forgiveness and Jesus grants you healing as well. He doesn't want bitterness in our hearts. And then number five, this is, this is kind of like the practice of all this. Um, one another, one another. So 
here's the thing. You're like, one another, one another. What does that even mean? Um, so if you were to go through the New Testament um, and pull out all of the instructions that we have about how to treat one another or what to do to one another, um, you would find a, a complete list in here that really could be used as a relationships manual or guide or, or like relationship how-to. Because the New Testament is all about relationships with, 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 uh, with God and with man. And so I, I have this, this slide of all the, the scripture references that we see in the New Testament about one anothering each other. And so here are all of the verses in the New Testament that talk about how we're to treat one another or what we're to do with one another. And so uh, you can kind of tell up here um, that there's some, some black uh, text and then some blue text. All the blue text is actually the love one another verses. And out of all these verses that we give, look, look at the instructions that we're given. So these are, these are where they're found. Let me show you what the, what the verbs are that we're actually supposed to do to one another. We're supposed to be at peace with each other, wash each other's feet, love each other, love one another, love one another, love one another, be, to do, be devoted to one another, honor one another, live in harmony with one another, love one another. You see, all the things that we're supposed to do, and love is actually instructed 16 times in the New Testament. These are the one another verses that if you want a great relationship, you do these things and you will be better at relationships than you ever thought you could be. Hands down. You cannot go wrong if you will adhere to these New Testament principles on how to one another, one another. I just think it's interesting that love is mentioned 16 times. God is for love, y'all. And this isn't just love for your spouse. Honestly, this is love for each other as well. You can do all of these things, these one another verses, you can actually practice right now, which is your next blank. I would encourage you to begin to practice these one another things right now because you're surrounded by friends that you can work on these things with right now. You don't have to wait until you find the one to begin one anothering other people. Practice on those around you right now. And then when you do find the one, you'll be really good at loving them well, right? <clears throat> um, next blank, fo- focus on building up your friend. Focus on building up your friend. Now, I-, I use this word friend here intentionally. Because how many of you would agree that, that you want to marry your best friend? Like, I absolutely love my wife. I love hanging out with her. I love going on vacation with her. I love coming home to her at night. She is my best friend. But if I were to go around the room right now and say, hey, how hard is it for you to build up your best friend right now? Some of you would be like, that seems kind of weird. Like to build up my friend, my best friend? Listen, practice this now. According to Proverbs, life and death is in the power of the tongue. And we all know what it's like to be on the the receiving end of life or death that's in the power of the tongue. We have a choice tonight that if we want to be able to love our spouse well, who will be our best friend, we could start by loving our best friend well right now. and We could start building up our best friend now so we can then build up our best friend once we're married. Life and death are in the power of the tongue. Listen, you have the opportunity to build up those that are around you Right now. Choose words that build up, not 
tear down. Now check this out. Next point. Listen and understand. Listen and understand. Proverbs 18.2, fools find no pleasure in understanding, but delight in airing their own opinions. If we jump back to fighting real quick, how many of you understand that, how many of you have experienced that when you're fighting with someone, it's really, really easy to only listen so you have a response to whatever it is that they're going to say. You did this. Yeah, but you did that. And they're like, well, I might have done that, but you're this. And you're like, well, yeah, I might be this, but, well, you're that. And you're not even listening to each other except so that you have something to say back and fire back at. Right? But Proverbs 18 instructs us to listen and understand what it is that our friend or your one, eventually, um, is trying to communicate. Are we, are we listening to understand, not just waiting to fire back about what they just said? Next one, pause. What do you mean? I mean, shut your trap. Just quieten down for a minute. <clears throat> Here's the thing. Um, Guys can be good at this, right? Guys are like, I don't want to say nothing. I'm just going to stonewall, right? I'm not going to say nothing for the rest of the night. Listen, guys, this is not what this means. Pause does not mean stop. You get the difference, right? Pause is I'm pausing so that we can continue in a moment. Stopping is giving up on the relationship and the communication that's trying to occur in that moment, okay? And so... It just means pause, gather your thoughts, maybe even pray about it, and then continue the conversation without using hurtful words or actions. Like maybe in the middle of a fight, you just need to go, listen, I'm just going to hit the pause button and we're going to continue this conversation in a moment because there's anger inside of me. I don't want my anger to cause me to sin. Give me a minute to collect my thoughts and then we'll continue this conversation later. Just hit the pause button. Now, Some of you guys have heard the, if you don't have anything nice to say, don't say anything at all, right? That's not what this is, okay? In fact, I would say this, if you don't have anything nice to say, you need to go pray and ask the Lord to fix you, not them. Go pray and ask for revelation about how the Lord feels about them. And then maybe you'll have something good to say, right? And be willing to honor and build up. Last one, forgive. 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 We're Christian here, right? Colossians 3.13, bear with each other and forgive one another if any of you has a grievance against someone. Check this out. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. See, forgiveness is hard sometimes, but I'm not allowed to hold on selfishly to something that I, like, need generously. Does that make sense? It's wrong for me to hold on to something that I so need desperately. And I hold on to it so selfishly when I know that I need forgiveness myself. 
When I look at how the Lord has forgiven me, when I recognize my need for forgiveness, it becomes my duty to give away forgiveness, doesn't it? When I recognize how the Lord has forgiven me, I have no other choice but then to turn around and forgive others. Here's, man, here's what I know. Like, forgiveness is hard. And like, some of you, you might be sitting there thinking like, man, I just don't know how to do those things. It's not my past, not my DNA, not my, my, not my family, it's not my traditions. Like, Heath, you just don't understand where I came from. Um, and here's, here's how we do this. You have to learn it just like the rest of us had to learn it. And here's how we learn it. We follow Jesus. We pursue the Lord. So we, we started off tonight talking about Ecclesiastes 4. Two are better than one, right? And they have someone to pick them up whenever they fall. Well, we're going to end tonight with just a couple verses down. The writer in Ecclesiastes actually wraps up this portion of Scripture with Ecclesiastes 4.12. He says this, Though one may be overpowered, two can defend themselves. A cord of three strands is not quickly broken. Now, wait a minute. We were just talking about two being better than one. Where'd three come from? Wind of polygamy? Is that? No. Okay. (laughs) The answer is no. Listen, the third strand in this equation is Jesus. It is the Lord. And if you don't know how to do all these other things that we're talking about, like forgive and build up and be selfless instead of selfish, like pursue Jesus as the one who taught us how to do these things. Go study the scriptures that he gave us. The things that he said and that his disciples said that we can read in the word of God about how we are to act with one another. How we are to treat one another. Begin to pursue Jesus. And I'll say this, man. I know that some of you guys come from broken homes, like broken environments. I get it. Um, My family life has not always been great either. But if you can't imagine a relationship void of like destructive conflict and anger and rage, look to Jesus for direction. And look to see how he can teach us how to fight for the one instead of against the one. Look to Jesus and find out how how it is that we can learn how to be more like him. And do the things that he says that we're to do. Give your life over to him. And expect for him to help you do the things that he says that we should do. See, and one day, I hope, I hope every one of us in this room will be in a wonderful, fulfilling relationship. Where you and your spouse are both following Jesus. And even if you don't get this right away, here's what happens. It's like, you're here and... He's here or she's here and and like Jesus is here. And because you're both pursuing Jesus and taking steps towards Jesus, you end up closer and closer and closer together the closer that you get to Jesus. There's hope for a wonderful, fulfilling, amazing marriage. There's hope for a great 
family life. There's hope for a home that you want to be in and that your kids want to be in. Ashley and I say this all the time. One of the visions for our family is that we want our family to be a place that our kids want to come home 10 years from now. That our kids want to hang out with us in 10 years. So I'm not really looking at who they are right now or what it is that we're doing right now. But what is the family unit that we're building 10 years from now? So that my daughter who is 3 when she's 13 still thinks that her parents are enjoyable to be around. So that when my daughter's 13, that in 10 years and she's graduating college, she wants to come home and hang out with the family. That somehow in the midst of all of this that we've got going on, in the midst of the conflict that's definitely going to arise, somehow we can one another, one another well enough that our daughters feel like our home is a great place to be. Conflict's coming. You just got to choose how to deal with it. And I promise you, I promise you, Jesus is the one that teaches us how to handle conflict better than anybody else. See, for some of you, forgiveness is hard. And it might be because you have yet to be forgiven. For some of you, being selfless is difficult and you just, man, whenever that thing happens, it's just really, really really hard to not blow up on them. And maybe it's because you haven't made Jesus Lord of your life. Maybe you haven't fully committed to the things that He commanded and that He told us to do. So when we call, when we call Jesus Lord and Savior, we're calling Him King. Lord means He's King. Savior means we can't get into heaven without Him. We need His forgiveness. We need Him to be our ticket into heaven. But we have a choice to live for Him now. And on the last night of the relationship series, let me tell you something. There's not a relationship that you can pursue that is going to be more important than your relationship with Christ. Now, while you're single, now, while you're dating, when you're engaged, And if I can just be honest, as a married man, it is so important once you are married to continue to pursue a relationship with Jesus. See, my wife, we might have started here and we might be here, but the goal is still here with Jesus. And what we know is that the closer we get to Him, the closer we get to one another. When we're asking the question, are you the one? The real question is, do you know Jesus as your number one? There is not a relationship that is more important than that. Everything, everything will stem from your relationship with Jesus or your lack thereof.